As you attend to the word now with me, would you turn to John chapter 18? John 18, we'll pick up in verse 10. And just a handful of verses in our remaining time. We're still in the garden of grace. Jesus is about to finally be bound and taken back into the city. So he's still uh, in the garden of Gethsemane, still less than a half a mile away from this house of the former high priest Annas. And now we come to this scene to where you and I can really see ourselves coming into the picture. Anthony did not know what I was going to teach on this morning, nor did I know that he was going to speak to you about being obedient to the things of the Lord. But in this passage, we see this very principle, this very concept. You see, Peter knew what Jesus was going to do. Peter had been told very clearly, in fact, all of the disciples had been told very clearly that Jesus was going to die. And in fact, Jesus went so far as to say, the time has come. The hour is here. I'm going to give my life. And so there was no mystery in Peter's understanding of that. The problem is Peter did not believe what Jesus had said. And in that sense, Peter represents exactly the choice that you and I are frequently faced with, and that is to be obedient or disobedient. To be a doer of the word or to simply be a hearer and then go about our business without doing anything about what we've heard. And so Peter now is going to step out in the flesh. He's going to take upon himself the role of judge, jury, and executioner of one man named Malchus. And so as we turn our attention to verse 10 here in John 18, uh, would you join me and we'll pray for our time here in the word. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the example of your grace in Peter's life. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us that's here in this room right now, Lord, as we listen to this event in the life of Peter, Lord, a man who should have known you best, a man who knew what you were about, and yet so very often heard what you said and did nothing with it. We pray that you'd help us in our obedience. God, keep us from being rebellious. Help us to submit, Lord, as we have the choice between the sword or the cup, would we always choose the cup? Even if that cup looks like it may be dangerous, God, would you help us to listen to your voice and do what you ask in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 10, John 18, and then Simon Peter having a sword, and I want to tune you in to this one particular word because it's a very specific word. There are two words used in the Greek language primarily in, in the time that these words were written for sword. One was a longer sword. That sword was always used offensively. It was designed for battle. It was a a much heavier sword. It was made to cut through uh, even armor or a shield. It, It was normally something that only soldiers carried. But the word that's used here could actually be translated dagger or a small sword. It was a short sword. It was for close in, hand to hand, It was always a last resort. It was a self-defense weapon. 
In other words, when somebody drew this particular type of sword, their life was supposed to be in danger. And so Peter pulls out this short sword that he had no doubt stuck in the waistband of his cloak. And he drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And that servant's name was Malchus. And so Peter, knowing what God was about, knowing what Jesus, the I am, was going to do, now takes matters into his own hands. And while we can applaud the fact that Peter's being brave, we have to also acknowledge the fact that he's being impulsive. He's acting on his gut instinct. He's not acting on what he knows from the Lord. He's acting on what he thinks he should do, given the situation. This is a choice that you will be faced with often in your life. You're going to know what the Lord has said, but you're going to have a choice as to whether you're going to actually do it or not. And verse 11, and so Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? This is why I came, Peter. My dad mixed this cup. Every ingredient in it came from heaven. You may not get it. You may not understand it. You may not like it. But this is the cup that I'm supposed to drink. I don't need you to save me, Peter, because I came into this world to give my life a ransom for many. He's correcting Peter and at the same time acknowledging the little bit of Peter in each one of us, in me. It's one of the reasons I can identify with Peter. I'm just like him. I'm a doer. I'm one of those people. I just, you know, if I see something, I go after it. If you tell me I can't do it, that's a reason I've got to try. If there's something that needs to be done and there's no one else doing it, I'm just going to jump in because that's how God wired me. I can be impulsive. And I can also get myself in all kinds of trouble. Because I end up in places that God never intended me to go because I just simply saw a need. And in his wonderful commentary on the book of Nehemiah, just as Alan Redpath wisely said, a need does not in and of itself constitute a call. Just because there's something going on does not necessarily mean that you've been called to do it. And in this case, Peter wasn't called at all to get into this situation. Jesus was fulfilling exactly why he came. Remember, he has already prayed, Father, if there be any way this cup can be taken from me, please do it. But nonetheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus has prayed that prayer, and here comes the cup. So this cup is God's will. Peter doesn't like what God's got planned. Anybody in here ever had a thing in your life that God brought your way, but you didn't want it? If you've ever had a major sickness, probably that goes in that category. A financial difficulty probably goes in that category. 
Problems in your marriage probably goes in that category. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You see, God often allows cups to come our way that actually are from him. He may be doing a greater work, and while he did not cause the problem in your marriage, he wants to fix it, and so he gives you the ability to drink from that cup so he can address the problem in your marriage. It's the way God works. But the cup is mixed by God. Because if he's sovereign, he can do anything, amen? So if you got a cup, there is no tempta- temptation among men, but that which is common, and in it there's a way of escape, amen? So God is always working these things out. The question then becomes, what do we do when they do come? How do we respond? Do we respond in the flesh or do we respond in the spirit? And so Jesus said to Peter, put it away. Shall I not drink? And then a detachment of troops, this group that could have been, it was hundreds for sure, almost assuredly a very large group of professionally trained soldiers. And here's Peter with a dagger. I got this, Jesus. Step back. I'm going to take care of the Roman army for you. And the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. It didn't even slow them down. They, they, they weren't afraid of Peter with his, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the kid, who, you know, it's like a crocodile Dundee thing. That's not a knife. And he pulls out a huge dagger. <laughs> And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And we'll cover this whole relationship next Sunday. Who was the high priest that year? And now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. This incredible picture of what happens when we allow our flesh to get in the way of what God's doing. And while it is, in one sense, kind of tragic, it also is a beautiful picture of God's grace. One of the questions that often comes up in this particular passage, and I'm going to ask you actually to turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, and we'll pick up in verse 35. While you're getting there, one of the questions that comes up is, well, what did one of the disciples of the Lord, how come he had a sword in the first place? I mean... Wasn't Jesus and the disciples, weren't they complete pacifists? I mean, weren't they, you know, just kind of hanging around and anything that came their way, they just immediately, you'll not get, you know, they went into prayer mode and now Jesus actually gave them a fairly solid instruction on what was coming their way. And I want you to see it here. Verse 35, is the sword ever okay with God? Remember, it's for defense. It's not for offense. It was not like Jesus was speaking to them, hey, you know, let's go start the Crusades. But I want you to see what he says. Verse 35, Luke 22, and he said to them, when I sent you without a money bag and a knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So initially, when Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, don't take anything for your journey. He says, you just go 
I got this. Even if it's miraculous provision. Then, so they said, no, we didn't lack anything, nothing. Verse 36. Then he said to them, but now, meaning now that he's about to die and go back to heaven, Now that he's about to leave them, he is not going to be with them. But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, a backpack, a suitcase. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. For I say to you, that which is written must still be accomplished in me. And here's what it is, that he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, I'm going to die. I'm going to be counted with the transgressors. You're going to find Jesus very shortly in John's gospel, hanging between two thieves on a cross. And so he tells them, take your money bag, Take your backpack. And oh, by the way, if you don't have a defensive sword, you might want to sell a cloak and go buy one. For the things concerning me have an end. In other words, my physical presence and work in your lives is about to come to an end. I'm not going to be around so that when the Roman soldiers, if I choose to call a legion of angels, I can do so. And you're not me, so... They said to him, Lord, look, here's two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Very interesting passage of scripture. And it ties in really to our understanding of really the place of government in the life of the church. But there in Romans 13, we find that the government itself does not bear the sword in vain. And here's how it applies to your life. How much good are you to God dead? You think you're going to be able to share the gospel if you've got a little excess through your eyes? If you're no longer breathing? Well, the answer is no. And because God does use the church, God uses people, and those people are blessed to be able to share the gospel, there is a proper use for you to defend yourself because at the end of the day, the Lord uses us to preach the gospel. And so when it comes down to a defensive use, notice it's very specific here, a defensive use in the lives of the disciples, the apostles themselves, he said, you're probably going to need a sword once I leave because I'm going to be in heaven, you're still going to be here. And so here's how it applies to your life. There is no place in scripture where God has commanded you if someone breaks into your home with ill intent to murder, perhaps do harm to one of your family members, that you need to stand by and go, boy, I hope the Lord stops you. (laughs) Jesus encouraged the disciples to buy a defensive sword for the purpose of protecting their backpack and their money bag. So in defense, it is perfectly okay for you to defend yourself and those that you love and all who are innocent. 
It is not okay for you to try and take that same sword like Peter's doing here. Well, I'm going to teach you who not to attack when we're trying to preach the gospel. Peter is using the sword for the wrong reason. Jesus has already told him, I'm going to die. That was part of the plan. So just like the government doesn't bear that sword in vain, we need to be very careful. This is a tough subject, and I want to acknowledge very pointedly that it's a tough subject. But there is a place when evil is in this world, and evil is in this world. Amen? I wouldn't have had a single problem if there had been an off-duty police officer in the Tree of Life synagogue that shot dead that guy who took 11 lives. Wouldn't have had a problem at all. Why? Because these were innocent people. Same thing at the Kroger's grocery store. Had someone been able to stop that from happening, those were innocent people who lost their lives. Self-defense, Scripture says is permissible for the protection of life, property, and those who are innocent. That's why you need to honor law enforcement. doesn't mean that everyone's perfect who's in it, but it means that we honor them. They've been appointed by God. Read Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Amen? So don't get mad at me. Just read your Bible. And it can be extrapolated out to rogue nations with nuclear reactors. Peter had the wrong kind of sword. That was the problem. It wasn't that he had a sword. He had the wrong kind of sword. He had the sword of disobedience. He had the sword of flesh. He had the sword that was not guided by the spirit, but the sword that was being used for his own purposes. That's never a good thing. And why is it that Peter had such a problem? And there's some things that you can see very clearly. Number one, he's fighting the wrong enemy. Amen? The enemy was actually the devil. That's who stirred on Judas. That's who was at work in Annas and Caiaphas and the Romans. Peter's trying to accomplish with the flesh that which can only be done with the spirit. So instead of spending time praying, Peter was sleeping. Amen? Jesus asked him, can you not pray with me a while? What does Peter do? (laughs) Nods off with the rest of the disciples, right? There's a time for rest, of course. There's a time for praying, too. Peter argued with the Lord. Can I tell you what's going to happen when you argue with the Lord? Loser. So what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You're going to be proven to be wrong every time you argue with the word of God with the Lord. 100% of the time, you're not ever going to win. And so Peter argued with the Lord. It's like, no, Lord, far be it. And oh, by the way, I'll never deny you, which is coming next. Amen? He's saying, look, I got this. When you rest and trust in the arm of flesh, you're going to have to support yourself with the arm of flesh. And it never works out. So Peter just had it wrong, and he ends up imitating the very enemy that he's trying to kill. And besides that, he's not even a good assassin. I mean, he's trying to kill this guy, and he takes off an ear. Not exactly a death blow, you know? 
That's usually what happens when we resort to the flesh. It doesn't even do what we want it to do, amen? Learn that lesson from Peter. Now, praise God, and I love this. You see, Peter didn't need the sword of flesh. He didn't need the offense. He needed defense. He needed the sword of the spirit. And yet, I love this because there was grace for Peter. And amen, do I need God's grace in my life. Amen? Amen. Because I can still be impulsive, and most of you probably can as well. I can hear the word of the Lord and go, well, doesn't apply to me. You don't know how evil she is. (laughs) He is. They are. You know what I'm saying. You know what the word of the Lord is. You know what it says. You know what applies to you. And you go, nope, it doesn't this time. You don't know what they said in that email. So I'm just going to let them have it, God. You see, we can all, I have to love those who spitefully use you and persecute me for his namesake. I'm not doing that right now, God. Sorry. I can type this email and I'm going to get them. No, we, we have to listen to the word of the Lord. And you got to meter those words with truth and kindness. Speak ye therefore the truth in love to one another. Amen. Yeah, but we can be assassins with words, can't we? Well, maybe you guys can't. I can. There's quite a few words locked up in this head. You, you really don't want to get on the bad side of my words. I got some spare ones. <laughs> that's not braggadocious just telling you you know when you do these kinds of things for all day every day it's like there's a few extra words in there then I have to remember I'm going to stand before a holy God and give an account for every single word that's ever come out of my mouth and I go ooh yeah can I pull that one back I love the fact that God gives grace to Peter I've lopped off a few ears probably most of you have as well said things you've lived long enough to regret done things that you wish you hadn't done amen there's grace for you just like there was grace for Peter you need to pull out the right sword in other words Peter argued he, he denied the word he, he took that book of Hebrews path that begins with simple drifting he's just like going the wrong way not because he intentionally set out to do it, but because that's the way he started taking the tide of this world. And then ultimately, here's what happens. You start to run ahead of the Lord. One of those areas that this comes up, if you're here and you're, you're desiring to be married, you're not married yet, can I tell you that you can know the word, you know that you're not supposed to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever, but you cannot trust God and then you can begin to be disobedient to what that verse says and then all of a sudden you're like well he's going to come to faith in Christ sooner or later I mean after all I love the Lord Jesus so I'll lead him to Christ no he's still unsaved and you're still not supposed to be dating him if he doesn't know the Lord Now, you can believe that or not, and you can call me a legalist if you want, but I'm telling you what it says. And if you want to run ahead of the Lord and try and get his job and say, well, you know, I will be God, read Isaiah 14 and see how that worked out for Lucifer. Amen? 
I will become like the Most High. I will exalt my throne. Lord, this is what I want. I'm going to put my effort into it. And then you live long enough to go, "Mm, that was a really bad idea. (laughs) Peter ran ahead of the Lord. God was saying, whoa, and he was saying, go. But there was grace. And I'm so thankful for the times that Man, God has glued back a lot of ears. And I think most of us can say amen to that one. Amen? God's glued back on a few ears. But just don't get ahead of him. Then you don't have to worry about those things. Stay with the Lord. Stay behind the Lord. Let him go first into that situation. Let him tell you what to do and then you follow what he says. Exactly what Anthony was saying. Don't let your emotions, Peter's emotions, push Peter to do something Peter was not supposed to do. You hear the word of the Lord and do it. It might take a little longer, but in the end, you're going to be stronger. The other option is the cup. And we see it in the life of Jesus. It's submission. It's saying, yes, Lord. You see, and here's the crazy thing. You see, the reason Peter didn't really want this cup is Peter looked at the cup and he said, I don't want you to go through that cup of suffering. That is logical. That is actually compassionate. The emotion of the moment, you and I would probably choose the same thing. We'd be going, no, Lord, don't don't take it. Don't drink it. But Jesus has already asked for the cup to be taken and God himself is going to mix that cup. God's going to mix your cups as well. He doesn't take his eye off his kids. Did you know that? He will never leave you nor will he forsake you, says the Lord. Amen? And when you understand that and you begin to think about the things that come into your life, you see that which seems like it's going to kill you is actually in the hands of a loving God, that which will make you stronger. Those things that look like they're from the enemy, even those things God uses for good. Amen? Even those things that were meant to kill you by the enemy. It's the beautiful conclusion of the book of Genesis in Joseph's life. It's the truth of Romans 8.28 for all things. Amen? So when God hands you a cup, you can be sure that though it may have some pain in the cup, it's not designed to kill you. It's designed to make you better. We got to remember that because Peter was thinking this cup was going to kill Jesus. And in a sense, it will. It's going to cost Jesus his life. It's going to separate Jesus. It's going to heap the sins of the weight of the world on Jesus. That's what's in the cup. But that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to drink of that cup. And if you think for a moment about the things that were in that cup, every sin you have ever committed, 
Every sin you commit today and every one you will commit for the rest of your life while you're here on this earth was in that cup. So I'm pretty sure that cup looked nasty. It looked awful. It looked terrible. When you gazed into that cup, it was literally the pit of hell. And Jesus said, I'll drink it. Because it wasn't for him, it was for you. It was for me. Your peace was compromised because of your sin. And Jesus said, put everything that compromises Jeff's sin in that cup and I'll slug it down. I'll expend my own life to take care of the debt of that cup. You see, Peter was supposed to recognize that and submit to God's plan. But Peter didn't see it that way. He saw it with just the emotions of this is my friend. He wasn't remembering the word of the Lord. And I guarantee you Jesus' soul was tormented thinking about what was about to happen to him. Because for the first time in all eternity, he was about to be separated from his father. That was not a pleasant thought. Now, that's the very reason that Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why? Because of me. You can put your name in there too. Why was Jesus forsaken? Why did Jesus drink this cup? Why did Jesus submit to God the Father? Because you and I had a debt we couldn't pay. And Jesus said, I'll pay it for him. He submitted. Exactly as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says there in verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Man, that's incredible. What a truth that is. That as Jesus looked at that cup, he said, this is going to kill me, but it's going to save them. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. That's the cup of submission. He drank the whole cup. He took the cup, turned it sideways, put his finger in, and took out every last drop. There's nothing left to do. And that cup came right out of the hands of Abba Father. He said, son, here it is. Such an incredible lesson for us. If God lets you have it, He's got a way through it. If he brings it into your life, there's a reason for it. He's loved you with an everlasting love since before the foundation of the world. Jesus came as the Savior, not as a last resort, but as God's first promise to us that he would make a way. That is mind-boggling to me. That God from eternity knew exactly who I would be everything I would do and at the same time knowing all of that 
gave that cup to his son knowing what it would cost. You ever wondered if God loves you? Jesus has already told the disciples he could call down legions of angels if he really wanted to. But he didn't want to. He loved us so much that he gave his life in our place. And so, in conclusion, that's still the choice, isn't it? There is still a choice in your life and in mine. You can either have the sword of the flesh or you can have the cup of the spirit. You can either have disobedience to what God said or you can be obedient to what God says. You can either recognize that God knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing what he's doing, or you can try and make your own way. And I pray that all of us choose that cup of submission, just as Jesus did, to say, God, you know what is best for my life, and I'm willing to trust you. Because you would never put anything in that cup that's going to kill me. If it's in there, it's for my good, ultimately. It may not taste good. It may go down kind of hard. But it's because you love me that you've handed me that cup. And I'm going to submit to whatever your plans are. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together? And I know that I'm not the only Peter in the room, so I want to just ask you if you're here today and you've got some need in your life uh, and you're saying, look, Jeff, the the Lord's given me a cup and I'm being honest, I don't really want to drink it. Or maybe you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life. You've never invited him to make sure that that cup is mixed by God the Father and not by your own hand. And you want to make that decision to follow Christ. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes right now, if you would, please. And bow your heads with me. Let's begin to pray. Believers, please uh, be attentive to the things of the Lord. And ask for those that do not know yet the Lord Jesus. That today might be the day of salvation for them. But for all of us, if, you're, if there's something going on in your life. And you just you, you want to say, Lord, I'm turning away from the flesh. And I'm turning to the spirit. You want to get rid of that sword that is your flesh and and you want to replace it with a cup that is you saying yes to God working in your life. That's you. Just raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you. Just slip your hand up. I see that hand in the back. These here in the front. Over to my left. I see that hand. Over to my right. There's hands up all over the sanctuary. Such an important thing for each of us to recognize that We don't have it all together sometimes. Just keep your hand up for just a second. For those of you that maybe today you you don't know the Lord, you've never invited Christ into your life, but you want to know him personally and you want to change from walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone else that wants to commit their life to Christ, I see that hand too. See that hand in the back to my right, over to the left as well. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down if you would. 
join me in prayer. Father God, I am giving you my sword. I'm surrendering my flesh right now, God. We together, corporately, are surrendering our flesh. God, we admit that we've made a mess out of some things in our lives. We've tried to do it our way, and it's not going real well. Lord, we're we're tired of fighting. We're tired of walking those dusty roads alone. And so, God, we're asking these things that are occupying our mind and our hearts. Lord, I pray for those that have financial difficulty and those who are looking for work. Father, those that are in relationships that are a mess and marriages, God, that are in turmoil, those with wayward children. God, those who are right now addicted to drugs or alcohol, they're just a mess, Lord. They've been trying to fight with the sword and they're tired. God, would you deliver them right this very moment by the power of your spirit and for those that have yet to know you and there are some, Lord, right now we collectively invite you, Jesus, into our lives to forgive our sin to inscribe our names in that precious book of life in heaven. We're asking you to forgive our sin and cleanse us and make us right. Impart grace to our lives. We believe by faith, Lord, we have little to go on but that faith that you've given us as a gift. And so, God, we thank you for the work of your spirit in this place. Heal our souls, Lord. Help us with these things that have weighted us down. We want to walk with you all of our days. And so we commit our way to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.